0: This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor.
1: Hi friends, would you like to hear an amazing fact? The city of Dubai and the United Arab Emirates is home to the biggest man-made island, tallest skyscraper, tallest hotel, tallest fountain, and now holds the record for the world's deepest swimming pool. Today it's hard to find a swimming pool that's over 8 feet deep. I'm always disappointed because I like going to the deep end and trying to uh, hold my breath. But uh, in Deep Dive Dubai, this new facility, it plunges over 196 feet deep. It's a depth that's already set the Guinness World Record as the deepest swimming pool in the world. Below its surface lies an entire underworld designed to resemble a sunken city. Explorers can suit up in diving gear and play underwater billiards, foosball, or chess, or they can just explore the depths of the expansive multi-themed facility. According to its owners, it takes several dives to see everything. 3.6 million gallons of crystal-clear water as much as six Olympic-sized swimming pools contain an abandoned city, an apartment, an arcade, and much more. Non-divers can watch friends and loved ones from the facility's built-in restaurant. Prices begin at $400 to scuba dive and $100 for a friend to just watch. The facility is indoors and its fresh water is kept at 85 degrees Fahrenheit for comfortable diving. If a diving emergency does occur... There's a hyperbaric chamber that can fit 12 people. It's interesting to consider the world's deepest pool is built in one of the world's biggest deserts. You know, Pastor Ross, the Bible tells us that God is going to do the same thing in the future.
2: I know, Pastor Doug. That's a fascinating fact. It seems like all of these mega cities are trying to outpace the next city. And, of course, Dubai has a lot of money, and they're always building something new. You mentioned the highest building, and, of course, they have... I believe it's Dubai. Or it's one of those those cities there that have an indoor um, place where you can snow ski. I've been there. It is in yeah. Dubai. <laughs> it's in, Dubai. in their <laughs> mall, which is huge. And now they have the deepest uh, swimming pool. It's not really a swimming pool that people would go do laps in. It's really for diving. You've yep. got to have a, 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 the right gear and you actually go down. and um, I bet that's something you'd like to do.
1: I, You know, I would. I don't <laughs> know if I'd go down
2: the whole... I think the deepest I've been
1: diving is probably 120 feet. 196 feet There's a lot of ear popping that goes on down there. Yeah, that is very deep. And they had to reinforce because the the water pressure at that depth is so powerful. They had to do some very creative engineering to make sure that it didn't just blow out the concrete Hmm. at the base of it. But uh, you think about that, I'm going to go to the desert and go dive into the deepest pool. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the second biggest desert is Saudi Arabia. The first would be the Sahara. And uh, so it is kind of interesting when you think about it. But it made me think of those verses in the Bible where God says... When the world is made new, he's going to take some of the places that are considered a desert and a wilderness now, and they will blossom like the rose, and there'll be springs. Here's a few verses. Psalm 107.35, he turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. Psalm 114.8, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into fountains of waters. Of course, he did that the children of Israel. He gave them water in the desert when they were going through their wanderings there. And one more, Isaiah 41, verse 18. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valley. I will make the wilderness water and the dry land springs of water. Hmm. It's going to be fascinating to see what the world looks like when God remakes it. A- and I think that even um, archaeologists, geologists, some paleontologists are amazed that they go to these Arctic regions. Today, they're Arctic regions or their deserts and they find fossils of all these ferns and tropical plants. And they said, boy, the world must have really been different back then or tilted on its axis or something because all over the globe it seemed like it was a paradise. And that's what God's going to do. I think he's given us an upgrade in the new earth.
2: You know, some of the people look at the verses you just quoted about uh, springs of water in the desert. And they think, well, you know, is heaven really for real? Can we really believe what the Bible says about this beautiful place that God is preparing for those that love him? Not only heaven up in heaven, but also the earth made new. Revelation speaks about a new heavens and a new earth here on this earth. And so we do have a book that talks about that. It's called Heaven, Is It For Real? And that is our free offer. We're happy to send that to anyone who would call and ask. Yes, heaven is real. And the Bible has quite a bit to say about heaven. We'll be happy to send anyone the book. To receive the book, call 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the book. It's called Heaven, Is It For Real? Uh, And if you're outside of North America, and you know, Pastor Doug, we've got people listening from uh, different countries. I know we have people regularly listening from Africa and India. And uh, if you'd like to read the book, you can just go to the website, the Amazing Facts website, click on the free library, and you can read the book. It's called Heaven, Is It For Real? Well, before we get to the phone lines, we always like to start with a word of prayer. So let's do that Mm -hmm. now. Dear Father, we recognize that uh, when we come to the Bible, we recognize it's your book, the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets of old. And Lord, we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit if we're to correctly understand it. So be with us as we uh, study together. Be with those who are listening wherever they might be, in their car or at home or uh, wherever they are, Lord, lead us all into a clearer and a full understanding of Bible truth, mm-hmm. for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're ready to go to our first caller for today. Uh, let's see, we've got um, Ryan. Let's go to Ryan in uh, Maine. Ryan, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for uh, taking my call. Absolutely.
3: My question is centered around the millennium.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um so how are the saved going to really enjoy being up in heaven for a thousand years, knowing that some loved ones and family members are not going to be there to enjoy it with them and that every day that passes, that's one day closer to ultimately when they're destroyed? So,
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think that some people think that uh, when we do go to heaven, we suddenly are brainwashed and we're just sort of like injected with this happy drug and we have no feelings anymore. Uh, Revelation talks about God drying every tear from our eyes, but that's actually happening in Revelation 22. When we first get to heaven and the, the millennium is Revelation 21, I think there may be some some sorrow and some questions about loved ones that are not there. And that's why it says the books are open. I think we're, we're able to look at the books. Paul says, you'll judge angels. And so we'll be engaged in seeing that God did everything he could to save our loved ones and that he really had no alternative. So it, it's during that time in the millennium, uh, you know, we may have uh, angels are not always happy. I think angels cry when Jesus was on the cross. So in heaven, our emotions aren't erased. And I think there may be some time when we're going to have some introspection and be saying, you know, I wish I had done more. Or we'll see loved ones and, and uh, you know, we'll have feelings and sorrow for that. God certainly is grieved to see anyone lost. But when we enter the millennium, at that point, God wipes away all tears. All questions are answered probably long before it's over.
2: But, you know, you're uh, referring yeah. to that verse. Um, let me read it, Revelation 21.4. This is at the creation of the new earth. It says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. But that is, as you mentioned, at the end of that 1,000-year period. Right, exactly.
1: So hope that helps. Ryan, we do actually have a book on the
2: Millennium or a study guide. Then we'll be happy to send you a free copy. It's called "A 1,000 Years of Peace. Maybe you've seen this before, Ryan. If not, call and ask for it. The whole study just on that Revelation 20,000 Years of Peace, 800-835-6747. That is the resource phone line. If you call that number, just ask for the study guide on the Millennium. And we'll be happy to send it to you. Now, We've if you want to call in with a question, just call
1: 800 god Says or 800-463-7297. I see we have some lines open. And we're also streaming this on Facebook. That's the Amazing Facts mm-hmm. Facebook page. It's live now. Uh, we're on AFTV. I believe we're on AFTV. We now. are, yeah. And we're also on uh, YouTube live. And so there's a, a number of ways you can not only listen, but... Uh, I don't know how visually edifying it is,
2: but we're happy to have you join us. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We've got Angela listening from Illinois. Angela, welcome to the program.
4: Hi, Pastor Ross and uh, Pastor Doug. Hi.
2: Um,
4: I have a question. Um, Can you just help me understand uh, Matthew um, 11 verses 19? I'm... I, I don't understand. I, I was talking with someone that was telling me that um, when I was explaining that, no, we're not to, you know, I don't, you know, I don't drink wine or and, and you know, wine is not good. Um, and they're telling me, oh, well, Jesus drank wine. So I <laughs> if you could just explain that, I would appreciate it. Sure.
1: Matthew 11, you said verse 19.
4: Yes. 18 and 19.
1: Okay. For John came, and speaking of John the Baptist here, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. Now, he's talking about his enemies uh, making accusations. Uh, not only did his enemies say that he was a, drunker, a drunkard, or a glutton, rather, of course, Jesus was not a glutton. A glutton is a person who just, you know, eats um, in an irresponsible way, they eat way too much. Uh, neither was he a wine-bibber or a drunk. And they also said that Jesus was a Samaritan, which was an insult. And they said he was demon-possessed, pre- uh, demon that he cast out devils by the prince of devils. So this is recording one of the accusations. It is true that John the Baptist did a lot of fasting. As a matter of fact, one time, the disciples of John the Baptist, he must have had some of his own apostles or disciples, they came to the disciples of Jesus and they said, why is it that your master doesn't fast? And John the Baptist fasts often. And Jesus said, well, the time's going to come when they will fast. But I'm with them right now. This is not the time. So Jesus, he did go to the home of publicans and sinners and he would eat with them. It was out uh, such a meal that Mary washed his feet and dried him with their hair. Doesn't say anything about any of these meals, him getting drunk or uh, overeating. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just this was recording an accusation that was made by his enemies that he's a glutton and a winebibber they were going to the opposite extreme because he ate with publicans who were sometimes gluttons and bibbers. he ate at the house of people like Matthew and Zacchaeus they assumed that he was too but I
2: don't think Jesus ever did either and of course he was also accused by his enemies uh, as being demon-possessed, being controlled by yeah. bells above. So, uh, of course, Jesus was not demon-possessed. So, yes, they made all kinds of accusations to try and discredit the teachings of Christ and the miracles mm-hmm. that he was performing. Does that help, uh, Angela?
4: Oh, my goodness, yes. I was writing at the same time, so I can...
1: Well, if you I, missed I, any I, of it, you can just to go to wife. the Facebook and you can play it back. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, thanks for your call. We're glad you called. Uh, we got Jim listening from, uh, let's see, IN. That's Indiana, right? Jim, welcome to the program.
5: Yep. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Um, first off, I'd like to apologize for interrupting your meeting the other day. Um, I, <laughs> I was so taken back by the whole tour that I got over the place. Oh, wonderful. That's, was,
1: you're that, Jim. Well, we're delighted to have you come and, and <laughs> see the place.
5: But uh, anyhow, and I'm going to have to stop back by and take another picture because I only got half of John Ross on there. (laughs) Well, hopefully he got
1: his better half. Yeah,
2: hopefully.
5: (laughs) And your question, question yeah. Was Revelations uh, chapter 12, verse 7, where it talks about the times, times, and half a time. Okay. That there is a 1260-year prophecy, right? Yes, that started in five thirty eight mhm, yes, and then and then, in um verse eleven, it talks about a twelve hundred and ninety days it are you in
1: revelation or are you in
2: daniel now
5: Daniel twelve eleven i think dan- daniel okay, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it does, yes
5: now you know I read in revelations where it talks about the plagues being in says one hour and one hour and one hour. Mm -hmm. Now, is that 45-day period in Daniel the same as uh, three hours in Revelations?
1: Well, you know, some people have wondered about that. Um, When you read a day for a year in prophecy, uh, when you read uh, in a prophecy and talks about uh, there were this many days, many Bible expositors know that it's really talking about a year. I'll give you an example of that. Jesus said um, uh, when Herod wanted to execute Christ, or he had just killed John the Baptist, someone told Jesus, he said, go tell that fox that I teach and do cures and cast out devils today, tomorrow, and the third day I'll be completed. Well, Jesus was only about six months into his ministry when John was executed. He taught three more years. So Christ in that prophecy He used the principle of a day for a year. And when you look at many of the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation, when it says this many, 1260 days, it means 1260 years. So Jim is wondering, well, what about when it says one hour then? Well, you could do it that way. Like it says there's silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. Yeah, Revelation
2: chapter 8. It works out to roughly using a biblical day for a year to about... um, a uh, half an hour would be about seven and 7.5 days. Yeah, because it says it's about, about one the week. space of half an hour. It's That's probably right. talking about seven days.
1: Yep. So then Jim is saying, well, what about when in Revelation 18, it says for it divides the fall of Babylon in three hours. It's like it falls politically and socially and economically. It says in one hour, one hour, one hour. You add that together, you get 45 days. Some have wondered, well, is that the period of time that the uh, seven plagues fall? And we don't know. That's a theory I've heard. It's, uh, I don't know that we have anything concrete to prove. Yeah, yet. what's
2: interesting when you're talking about that, you're talking about future events. So it's sometimes it's difficult hard to, be dogmatic. to say it's exactly the way it is. Um, but with reference to the 1290 that we find in Daniel chapter 12, that is using a day for a year principle. So we're talking about 1290 years. Right. 1260 years, also 1290 years, the 1335, 1335 years. So we're talking about a long periods of time. Yeah. We know the 1260 represents 538 till 1798. That's when the papal power was established in Europe. The 1290, at the beginning of that 508, a very significant event occurred which opened the way for the establishment of the papal power, and that was the conversion of Clovis, king of the Franks. Now, we don't hear much about it, but we do know that one of the biggest supporters of the papal power was France and the conversion of Clovis, the king, from paganism to actually... Catholicism, and he accepted Catholicism, is a rather significant event. And he basically had sway over all of Europe. Oh, absolutely. And that's the beginning of the Holy Roman Empire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's why I think that date is specifically mentioned there. Yeah. The 1335 will bring you right up till 1843. And what's significant about 1843 is you have the fulfillment of the 2,300-year prophecy in Daniel 814 announcing the end of or the beginning of that judgment hour period, the judgment time that yeah. we read about in Revelation 14. So it's a deep study, a lot of interesting pieces there to those time prophecies. But I think Daniel chapter 9 is referring to uh, a much longer period of time than you read about in uh, the book of Revelation when it's talking about an hour, an hour, an hour.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, hope that helps, Jim. We, we appreciate your calling and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again when you swing through the office
5: okay well i appreciate it i really do all right thank you You take care
2: care. all right we have suzy listening from colorado Susie, welcome to the program you're on the air
4: hi thank you um before i ask my question i just want to say that um, my son is a truck driver and because of listening to uh pastor doug he and his son were baptized wow so you've been quite a blessing in our life oh praise Uh, the lord Uh, that's what we love to hear yeah. Um, my question is in Psalms one thirty nine sixteen to 18, it says before you were formed, you were written in the book. Is that the book of life or what book is that?
1: Well, that's a good question. Uh, we know God does have a book. Uh, he has books in heaven. This one is talking mm-hmm. about before you were formed, uh, you were yeah. written in the book. It's kind of like where the Lord says that Jeremiah, that I chose you as a prophet from your mother's womb, I think God is just talking about his foreknowledge there.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, we do know of three books of record in heaven. Right. You've got the book of life that you read about in Revelation. We know there's the book of remembrance where the good deeds that have been done uh, are remembered, and God records that in heaven. And then you have the book of sin <laughs> where every idle word Jesus said you'll give an account of in the judgment. So this includes not only what we do, but even what we say and even the thoughts of the heart. So three books of of record in heaven, of course, as believers, we want our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. That's where it needs to stay. But when it refers to a book here in Psalms 139, Pastor Doug, I think it's just referring to God's knowledge. God knew. I mean, God knows all things Mm -hmm. and he knows when people are formed. And here with reference to David, David was especially chosen by God. God knew David would come and it would be through the lineage of David that, of course, the Messiah would come. And that is something that uh, has That's a prophetic good point. significance.
1: That's a good point. Yeah. The David, in particular, mm-hmm. God had said. Uh,
4: as soon as a child is conceived that maybe their their name is put in the book of life, unless it stays there unless they don't want to be with Christ.
1: You know, I don't think the children are born saved. They're born innocent. Uh, But you really need to be born again. And, and, you know, that that goes for everybody. Of course, if a child dies before the age of accountability, they're found innocent. But, um, uh, yeah, I think every human child is born with the kind of fallen selfish nature of Adam. So we need that Holy Spirit new birth. But thank you, Susie. I hope
2: hope that helps a little bit.
4: Oh, yeah, it does. Thank you so much.
2: All right. Thank you. We've got Kyle listening from California. Kyle, welcome to the program. I just had a quick question, and the question is, do we need to eat from the tree of life in order to sustain
6: life in heaven?
1: You know, uh, we're assuming that God is restoring his original plan for Adam and Eve. And with Adam and Eve, he said very specifically, we're going to expel them from the Garden of Eden. Otherwise, they'll eat from the tree and live forever. So there was something they needed from the tree to perpetuate life. I mean, one bite might have lasted 500 years. So it's not, you know, uh, if they were doing it on a regular basis, they had nothing to worry about. Adam, who ate from the tree of life, made it 900 years. Um, But it seems like, yeah, we're going to eat in heaven. God said, we'll plant vineyards and eat the fruit.
2: I think it also is a reference. to just our faith. We're acknowledging that God is the one that gives us life. And by us partaking of the fruit of the tree. And of course, Why wouldn't you want to eat of the tree of life? Twelve different kinds of fruit, different kind of fruit every month. And we can't even begin to imagine what type of fruit that's going to be. But the tree of life becomes a symbol, I think, a symbol for the redeemed saying, you know, this is um, a symbol of God who ultimately gives us life. He ultimately sustains us. Yeah,
1: I don't picture that saved people are going to be off visiting some remote world and realize, oh man, I haven't had a bite of the tree of life in three weeks. I better get back or I'm going (laughs) to die and be struggling, you know, their last few steps to get to the tree and eat a piece so that they can live. I don't think you're going to have that kind of fear.
2: And of course, remember uh, in the story of Adam and Eve, there were angels that barred their access to the tree of life. So Mm -hmm. there was something that the tree of life provided that perpetuated life. And God said, lest they eat of the tree and live forever. So there was something so we made special about that, t- yeah, and that shortened our to shorten our, our <laughs> <laughs> life, right? <laughs> All right. I like vegetables. I was teasing. Thanks, Kyle. We appreciate your call. All right. We got time for the next one. We'll go to Oscar then in uh, New York. Oscar, welcome to the program. Yes, sir.
6: Thank you. Uh, Luke 19, verses 9 and 10.
1: Okay. And your question?
6: Uh-huh. Yes, uh, it says, and it said, Jesus says, "Sal today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham." My question is, who is his son of Abraham?
1: Well, you know, Jesus said to the religious leaders, they they thought they were saved, and Pastor Ross might find this. He said, "You're not of Abraham; you're of your father, the devil." Uh, yet he called Zacchaeus a son of Abraham, and then Paul said, "If you have Christ." then you are Abraham's seed. And so when Zacchaeus accepted Jesus, he was called the son of Abraham. And so anyone, Jew or Gentile, that accepts Christ, the Bible says there's neither Jew or Gentile now, male or female, slave or free. We're all one in Christ. When a person accepts Christ, they become the spiritual children of Abraham.
2: The verse referring to, I think, is John chapter 8, verse 39. They answered and said to him, we are Abraham, or Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me. So, um, yeah. so they weren't doing the works of Abraham, they, would, they weren't doing works of faith. Um, Zacchaeus, though, was a Jew. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, he was a literal child of right. Abraham. He was working for the, for the Romans, but he
1: was a Jew. And he became a spiritual oh. child of Abraham when God forgave him.
6: So he was like born again, or born of God. He was born of the Spirit of
1: God. He was seeking Jesus. He said, you'll find me when you seek me. It says he sought to see Jesus. And when Jesus, he saw him, and I I think Jesus said, I'm going to eat at your house. He realized that he'd been forgiven or received by God. Then he repents and he confesses publicly. And then Jesus said, after he repents and he confesses, this is a child of Abraham.
6: Okay, so let me just answer one question. I mean, ask. Now, in verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What was was lost?
1: Well, I think Jesus is saying that there was a child of Abraham that was lost here. And that uh, Zacchaeus, who had been, you know, a publican, a great sinner, um, when he came back to the Lord, he had been lost and he was found.
2: Mm -hmm. And of course, that's one of the reasons why the Jews hated tax collectors because many of them were Jews, but they sort of sold themselves out to oppressing their countrymen Mm -hmm. and working for their arch enemy, the Romans. And so for Jesus to actually show mercy to Zacchaeus and go eat at his house and talk about him being an heir of the promises made to Abraham, uh, that was uh, really upsetting to the religious leaders because they thought because of the ancestry, they had a free ticket into heaven, so to speak. Yeah, it
1: doesn't work that way. You know, Pastor Ross, we're going to be going to a break in just a minute. Now, one minute is sometimes under what we need to do a good job answering a question. So maybe we'll take just a moment, tell people about something coming up very exciting in about three weeks, maybe just a little more than three weeks. We're going to be uplinking from the Word Center here in the uh, Sacramento area, a brand new evangelistic program dealing with Bible prophecy. And there's a lot of things that are happening in the world today that um, people sense with everything from the pandemic to the gyrating economy. Uh, international travel on hold and uh, uh, everything that's going on, natural disasters, that something's going on. And we want to be talking about what the Bible has to say about the times in which we live and kind of give a panorama of prophecy through the Bible. It's called Panorama Prophecy. You can find out more about how to watch it. It'll be on 3ABN, AFTV, Hope Channel. Just go to
0: com and learn more. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly.
3: Amazing Facts offers some of the best Christian resources for all ages. We hope our products will enrich your life and your walk with the Lord. Life requires daily wisdom, and now you can expand your understanding in Wisdom for Life. Pastor Doug's new 31 day devotional based on the 31 chapters from the book of Proverbs written by King Solomon.
0: Get yours today by calling 800 538 7275 or visit afbookstore.com.
7: Have you always wanted to be a Bible expert but never knew where to start? Are you searching for answers that will bring you joy, peace, and fulfillment? Then you'll love the Amazing Facts, Storicals of Prophecy Bible Study Experience, now available in 18 languages. Featuring 24 easy-to-read lessons, the Storicals are packed with Scripture and step-by-step guidance that will give you absolute confidence about what the Bible actually says about the Second Coming, the Rapture, the Antichrist, and the Mark of the Beast. You'll also get the truth about hell and the afterlife and practical insight about grace, salvation, and how to truly live like Jesus. Even better, it's absolutely free at storicals.org. So don't miss out. Get started on your Bible study adventure today at storicals.org. Are you wondering what lies ahead in human history? Landmarks of Prophecy offers clear answers to your most pressing questions. Presented by Pastor Doug Batchelor, Landmarks of Prophecy is a video Bible study adventure designed for today's audiences. Presenting the landmark themes of the Bible in a compelling way, giving you knowledge to face the future with confidence. Start your epic Bible study adventure with Landmarks of Prophecy today by calling 800-538-7275 or by visiting afbookstore.com.
0: You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live.
1: Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. If you've tuned in along the way, this is a live international Bible study. And you can call in with your Bible questions, 800 god says that's 800-463-7297. You can also join us on TV uh, by watching the program on Amazing Facts Television. It's also streaming on Doug Batchelor's Facebook page, on the Amazing Facts Facebook page, and the Amazing Facts YouTube channel. And I am Doug Batchelor.
2: My name is John Ross. And again, we want to welcome all of our friends who are joining us. If you're just joining us halfway through the program and you have a Bible question, the phone line here to the studio is 800-463-7297. And call in if you need to be on hold for a moment. Just be patient. They'll get to your call as soon as they can. We've got Michael listening in Maui. Michael, welcome to the program.
4: Is the Sabbath that we're following right now from Mount Sinai the same has been existed before creation, or should I break down my question to um, is the Ten Commandments has been existed prior to the creation?
1: Well, the Ten Commandments, uh, were codified by the Lord. Uh, I think it had been given orally and it was really in everyone's heart. I think when God made Adam, uh, God didn't need to tell Adam, by the way, don't steal and don't kill and don't lie and don't cheat on Eve. I think that was written in their hearts when they had the love of God because all the law is summarized in love. But uh, And the Sabbath was something that was really established, I think, for this planet uh, because God rested uh, following his six days of creation. He set aside a day for these creatures where they could fellowship with him in a special way. There's nothing in the Bible that says that the Sabbath predated, I mean, the laws did, it's always been wrong to lie, but there's nothing that I see in Scripture that tells us that the Sabbath predated the creation of our world because it's connected. It says, remember the Sabbath, four in six days. It's connected with the creation of this world.
2: Now, I'm wondering, Pastor, like you're right, uh, the Sabbath, this, uh, every seventh day, definitely is a reference to creation on our earth, and it's a memorial of God's creative work. Perhaps there is some kind of a similar thing that all other created beings participate in as an acknowledgement that God is their creator after all. God created the angels too. Yeah. Not necessarily in a six-day format as he did Adam and Eve and the earth, but being part of the, four, uh, the fourth commandment, part of God's law, uh, that could very well, and the Bible doesn't tell us, we're kind of speculating, yeah. but you'd think that there is some sort of a continual reminder for all created beings that God is the creator yeah. and a special time set aside for focused worship and it praise. It would make
1: sense that God had a, uh, a time, some cycle, mm-hmm. where the other creatures would come. I don't know if the Sabbath is just for this world. He says all flesh, but it's presumed that means all flesh in the world. will come and worship before me. Yeah. And of course, how
2: big the universe is. There's a lot of beings. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23. This, of course, when the earth is recreated at the end Mm -hmm. of the thousand years, it says, and shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come and worship before me, saith the Lord. Now, again, we don't know if that's just a reference to this earth, but if you think about it, we know that God's throne is going to be ultimately here on this earth mm-hmm. when the earth is recreated. So if all of the beings on earth are coming to worship God, would it make sense that the angelic beings are from the other worlds? The angels would also participate in that worship on the Sabbath.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that there'll be some here because we've got guardian angels.
2: Yeah, we sure do. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Michael. Good question. We've got Lee listening in uh, North Carolina. Lee, welcome to the program.
4: Oh hi, Pastor Ross, Pastor Doug. Thank you so much for taking my call.
1: Thank
2: uh, you. It
4: is my sixtieth birthday, and I feel like you guys are a gift directly
1: from the Lord. <laughs> well, if, if you want, we'll sing to you right now, but that might just destroy oh, the no, whole occasion. No, that's okay. <laughs> no,
4: I was baptized just weeks before the church shut down. Oh. Um So I've had, I've really had a lot of time with you guys, and I so appreciate you. My question: um, Is there really a talking donkey in the Bible? And if so, where and what is the um what's that story
2: yep
1: there is a talking donkey it's in the book of numbers i think pastor ross
2: looked. yeah at the numbers chapter 22 and you read it in verse 28 it says the lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to balaam what have you done <laughs> you have struck me these three times yeah, and you know it shouldn't shock us because you've got god speaking through
1: or not god i'm sorry you've got satan speaking through a serpent mm. in the very beginning so the idea of um You know, these uh, spiritual beings being able to somehow channel through an animal is is not a new thing. So, but I'm sure it got Balaam's attention when the donkey started talking to him. What's really strange is he talked back to the donkey.
2: That's right. (laughs) He had a conversation (laughs) with the donkey.
5: That's
4: (laughs) right. Hey, I found it funny and I wasn't sure if it was disrespectful to be laughing.
1: No, it is funny. (laughs) Uh, I've got a friend who did a sermon on it. It's called Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) You you got this dumb prophet. Actually, the donkeys are dumb, but the, the prophets dumber. And yeah, oh it's, it's a great story in the Bible, but it is absolutely true. And, you know, you, you can see in the Bible where, uh, you know, God used hornets to chase the enemy. God gave Elijah food from crows that brought it every day. Uh, of course, a fish was chosen by the Lord to swallow Jonah. Uh, God incorporates animals in many occasions in working with people. And uh, there's a donkey that brought Jesus. That's in right. Gruesome. That That's was right. normally <coughs> not supposed to let you ride because it w- had never been ridden. And I've broken horses before. And they usually kick and button, buck and carry on. And Jesus sat on the thing and gave no resistance. So,
2: Good question, Lee. If you'd like to read the whole story, just look it up. It's in Numbers chapter 22. You'll be introduced to somebody by the name of Balaam and Balak and also this talking donkey. It's a fascinating story. Yep. All right. We've got Jane listening in Oklahoma. Jane, welcome to the program.
3: Oh, thank you so much. I've been enjoying everybody else. And I almost forgot my question. <laughs> but thank you for having me. Yeah. My question is, I know the the word says, so as the tree falleth, so shall it lie.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, after we die, our soul goes back to God and what's the difference between I've heard so many different people say the, uh the soul and the spirit. What's the difference between that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And there is a difference. Uh, and if you look in Ecclesiastes 12 and I forget, I think it may be verse seven. When a person dies, it says when any creature dies says the body returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. It doesn't even differentiate between man or animal or good or bad. That word spirit there is the word roach uh, in Hebrew. And the word roach means breath. It means the breath of life will return to God who gave it. Same word that's used in Job where he says "Is not the spirit of God in my nostrils. Well, you're not thinking about some kind of holy creature in your nose it just meant the breath of life in my nose so when a person dies the breath returns to God who gave it the dust returns to the earth as it was so when God breathed into Adam he became a living soul God breathed the breath of life same word roach in the New Testament it's pneuma where you get pneumonia it's a breathing problem and and, uh, pneumatic tools for men they run on air so a lot of times you see that word spirit talking about the breath of life it's not consciousness it's the power of god for life the soul it says when god breathed the breath of life into adam he became a soul so you got the combination of the body that god made of adam combined with the breath of life from god he becomes a living soul you might say if i've got a handful of nails and i've got a few planks of wood i put them together it becomes a box it doesn't become a box until I connect those two things. If I take out the nails and set it aside and put the wood back aside, you can say, where'd the box go? Well, it stops being a box when you separate the two. When a person dies, their soul isn't like remobilized. I've got a jump drive here for my computer, you know, and I can put all kinds of stuff on this little thumb drive, USB stick, and it can have my whole computer on there. When I unplug it from the computer, you don't know nothing about nothing until it's plugged back into the computer. When in the resurrection, um, God is going to reunite uh, our, our uh, breath of life with a new created body, we become a living soul. But the soul is not floating around disembodied uh, until the resurrection. Uh, some people teach that, and you don't really find it in the Bible.
2: You know, just a couple of verses on that, uh, Jane, that you might find interesting. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 20 says, The soul that sins, it shall die. So there we have the soul dying. Mm-hmm. The Bible doesn't speak of an immortal soul. Uh, Revelation 16, verse 3 says, Every living soul in the sea died. It's talking about animal life. It's talking even about fish. It's referring to it as a soul. And then the Bible tells us that um, only God has immortality. That's First Timothy, chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. So death in the Bible is described as, as a sleep, as an unconscious sleep. The moment a person dies, their next conscious thought is the second coming of Christ, and they are resurrected. They don't realize that time has passed by. Mm -hmm. To them, it's immediate.
1: Yep. Does that help a little, Jane? Thank you so much. Yeah.
3: Yes, thank you.
1: Thank you. And we do have a free offer, Pastor Ross, will tell you about that will help explain this in more detail.
2: Yes, we have a study guide that's called Are the Dead Really Dead? And it's a very popular study guide. We like to send that out for Amazing Facts. We'll send that to you, Jane, or anyone who would just call and ask. The number is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the study guide. It's called Are the Dead Really Dead? And then Amazing Facts also has a website called deathtruth.com. That's filled with all of these passages of Scripture sermon content and, and study material so you might want to check that out just com. next caller that we have is Matthew listening in Canada Toronto, Canada Matthew welcome to the program
6: Hi Pastor Doug and Pastor Ross Yeah, sure. you guys years ago in Kingston Jamaica National Stadium
2: Ah, oh, we remember that yeah <laughs> that was a great time
6: yes my daughter Zahara just asked me a question about Revelation 14 okay. she wanted to know if the 144,000 was a literal number. And also the other question is if when one is sealed, they can die.
1: All right. Two good questions. And they are related because it talks about the 144,000 having their father's name in their foreheads, which is uh, synonymous with the seal of God. Um, is the 144,000 mentioned in both Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, is that a literal number or is it symbolic? Typically, the numbers that you find in Revelation have real value. But it doesn't mean the 144,000 are the only ones saved. And that's what makes people nervous. Are there only 144,000 saved? No, they are a special group. Keep in mind, Jesus chose 12 apostles to then reach a great multitude when he came the first time. The 144,000 are something like last day apostles. It's a special group. They're having to reach the whole world now, so God's multiplied the number of these uh, apostles. I'm using that just as a a figurative term. Um, But they're not the only ones saved. On the day of Pentecost, you've got 120 in the upper room, including the 12 apostles. It's interesting, the Holy Spirit doesn't fall until they replace Judas. As soon as they went from 11 to 12, Holy Spirit falls. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. 120 are in the upper room, which is 10 times more than just the 12. And then through their preaching, a great multitude is converted later in chapter uh, seven. It talks about a great multitude that no man can number that have come out of great tribulation. And so um, I do believe it's a literal number. I do not think in the last days you'll see people going around with a marathon number on their back that says I am I am 142,000 or whatever. But I think God is going to spirit fill a group in the last days that are going to do a great work of ministry like the apostles did. And we have a book on it.
2: We do. It's called Who Shall Sing the Song? And it talks about the 144,000. We'll be happy to send this to you, Matthew, or anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And you know, Pastor Doug, there was a second part to Matthew's question. The seal of God. Yeah, Yeah, he says, can you die after you are sealed? And I'm assuming he's talking about the seal described in Revelation chapter 7.
1: You know, once the seven last plagues begin to fall and probation closes, I don't believe there'll be any martyrs because Mm -hmm. they're not really testifying for anything. I think God delivers them miraculously like he did when the plagues were, I think God spared all the Israelites from plague seven on. Right. And sorry, plague three on. So the seven Seven last plagues, they were all spared from. And I think God is going to spare his people from then on. So um, people that are sealed with the Holy Spirit And what is it, Revelation 22, he that is just, let him be just still. Mm -hmm. Close Uh, the probation. Yeah, yeah, probation closes. I I don't think there's any martyrs after that. Yeah, it
2: seems like when you look in Revelation, there's two groups of people at the end of time. Those who have the seal of God and those who have the mark of the beast. Two distinct groups. And it has to do with who they worship and who do they obey. So yes, God will have a group of people in the last days who are faithful. They keep his commandments. They have the faith of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus. And they proclaim the everlasting gospel to the world in the last days of first history. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Matthew. We've got our next caller. Paul is listening from uh, Arkansas. Paul, welcome to the program. Hey, hey
6: pastors. How are you doing? Can you hear me?
2: Yes, loud and clear. Thank you for calling.
1: Wonderful.
6: Uh, the first time I called uh, pastors was three years ago. At the same time, I shared. I'm a trucker. I went to a church nearby and, man, uh, they were, you know, true believers and, uh the teacher and one of the elders who does a Bible study before the 10 o'clock service. Uh, we we had a lot in common anyway. So uh, three years passed by, and I shared this with you before. Uh, somehow a conversation came up. He believes you can lose your salvation. And this is uh, 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 uh we came to uh, Ephesians 2, uh, 8, 10. You were very gracious. You said, well, you know what? Our ministry, or I believe in the same thing, hope you call back. And he also believes in the uh, millennium. And I believe you believe in the rapture tribulation. So I tried to explain to him that uh, you know, God's not bumping Jesus and saying, Look at Paul, look at Harold, it's interpretation of scripture. But says he said his gift is teaching. So since I said, Listen, you're not gonna teach me. I, I I believe this twenty years, just you know, like I'm you know, you're not gonna, you know, I'll go for it once saved and always saved. So here's the thing. You believe you can lose your salvation, in reference to Ephesians 2, uh 8, 10. I believe you can't, and, man, there's so many scriptures. And, of course, you're going to work on good works, uh, not to... I, and, okay, so two questions. Are you trying to keep your faith, or are you just trying to uh, do good works uh, before the Lord for your crown? Because I believe, personally, we both, if we're truly saved, are going to heaven. Thank you.
1: All right. Hey, thanks. You know, it's interesting that just... Uh... Just this Sabbath, I was teaching on the subject of once saved, always saved, both Calvinism and Arminianism and what some of the differences are and that you can have two extremes in both those areas and that there are good people in both camps. I know when we get to heaven, I expect to see George Whitfield, Martin Luther, John Calvin and John Wesley. And they all believe different mm-hmm. on this. But um, I'm of the opinion that, you know, you can't go to the altar when you're nine years old and say, I've accepted Jesus and then go live the world and say, well, I'm saved. So the, the fallout of a person believing that once they're saved, that there's no accountability for their actions. I don't see that in the scripture. I do say that Jesus said, it's not everyone that says Lord, Lord, but he that does the will of my father in heaven. And when Paul says we're saved by faith, absolutely. I don't believe that Uh, We do the good works to be saved. I believe if we are saved, James said, there will be works. He said, you, you know, show me your faith uh, without your works. I'll show you my faith with my works. So the works aren't saving. The works are demonstrating that we have been saved. There's a big difference. Uh, An apple tree doesn't produce apples to prove it's an apple tree. An apple tree produces apples because it is an apple tree. And so the fruit is a result of what the tree is. And, yeah, this has been the, the big debate through history. We do have that book, Pastor Ross, Can a Saved Man Be Lost, mm-hmm. that uh, I think Paul would enjoy if he hasn't read that yet.
2: Yeah, the number to call for that is 800-835-6747, and ask for the book. It's called Can a Saved Man Choose to Be Lost? It's got an intriguing title, but filled with Scripture. We'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. Again, it's 800-835-6747. Thanks for your call, uh, Michael. Uh, next caller that we have is um, Nayof, listening from Calgary, Canada. Nayof, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you for uh, taking my call. So this is my second time. I think I called three years ago. Uh, my question is from Matthew 9.37. Uh, Jesus told the disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the waters are few. So I just want to know who are these workers and why are they
1: few? Well, you know, Jesus called the apostles to be what they call under shepherds for him to help, uh, you know, reach in the harvest. And Pastor uh, Ross might look it up and Paul talks, uh, it might be in first or second Corinthians about, you know, I sow Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. And we're all workers in his field. Um, And so, the field is the world jesus gave the illustration of a sower goes forth to sow the seed is the word of god he later breaks down that illustration and uh, you know you've got people who are working in the field those are the uh, the believers disciples and apostles and the christians you know we're out uh, cultivating weeding helping uh, in spreading the seed of jesus and then ultimately there's going to be a harvest and he says the angels come to help in the harvest they gather together his elect the wicked are put in bundles and burned the righteous brought into the barn a synonym there for heaven so you know jesus is using all these metaphors to talk about the gospel in the world right now there are so many people who are waiting to hear the gospel there are not enough labors to tell them which is why amazing facts is doing what we can do by using television radio publishing internet internet we're trying to do, we're doing evangelism training. We try to do everything we can to create more
2: laborers in the field. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about the harvest plentiful, just look at the world and see what's happening. People are looking for hope. Yeah. And if ever there's a need for people to be willing to share their faith, th- we're all laborers. We've yeah, all been called to with labor. Yeah,
1: TV and the internet, there's countries and people that have not heard about Jesus. It's always amazing to me. I'll go to some foreign country like China Talk to my cab driver there through the translator and mention I'm a Christian. He doesn't know what a Christian is. They, mm-hmm. It's it's hard to believe, but yeah. So the harvest is still great. Thank you, Naif. Does that help answer your question?
3: Yeah, I just want to clar—I just want to clarify something. Is so if the harvest is if the harvesters are the angels, then the angels are few because the workers are few in the field.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think the angels are few. Uh, you know, Jesus tells us that there are a lot of angels. He said even at his crucifixion. If I want to, I could talk to my father and he'll call out uh, 12 legions of angels just for him. Um, I I believe that God would, uh, if there's a guardian angel and if the universe is as big as it is, it's probably billions and billions of angels.
2: You know, in this context, uh, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is talking about the laborers being his disciples, uh, human beings that are assisting. I'm sure angels assist in the work of, of sharing the gospel, but really it's it's the people who have received the gospel and who make it known to others that's the instrument that God has chosen to have the gospel preached mm-hmm. to the world amen all right thanks for your call. we've got uh, let's see uh Pebble listening from Alabama Pebble welcome to the program
4: hello Dad, uh pastor Doug and pastor Ross how you doing
2: We're always better than we deserve
4: oh i know it i'm getting over the covid and so i'm i'm just thanking God that He has kept me and my family and getting us strong each day that we pass.
1: Well, Um, good. Amen.
4: (laughs) um, But I have a question. I was reading through Revelation chapter 18 and um, got to verse 23. And in that verse where it talks about sorceries, were all nations deceived? When I was studying through that, um, I looked that up, the word sorceries in Greek. And its its uh, meaning is different. It's like and I pharma. I was just wondering since it's pharmacia. Yeah, yeah.
1: pharmacia. There you go.
4: Is it kind of significant about like everything that's going on with the virus and stuff? Do you think that it's like a prophetic? Yeah, no, I
1: I don't know that it's connected with the virus and vaccines or any of that. Um, the, it might be more connected with the drug addictions in the world today. Because in ancient sorcery, they often used, um, there were potions, there were drugs. You know, they offered Jesus drugs on the cross when they offered him gall and uh, wine. Um, It was supposed to be, you know, to help deaden the pain. And he refused it. He didn't want anything to cloud his mind. So sorcery, you know, the devil, through its sorcery, has uh, kind of uh, mesmerized and, and bewildered the world. And I think part of that is, He's dead in the world uh, through drugs. Mm-hmm. And of
2: course, having pestilence or diseases, pandemics, Jesus did say that this would happen right yeah. before the end. You can read in Matthew, t- or Luke 21, verse 11. You can also read in Matthew 24, but Luke twenty-one eleven says, and there shall be a great earthquake or great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences, and there will be fearful signs in the heaven. So there it says that with reference to e- end time events, there will be these pestilences or diseases. And boy, have we found ourselves in the midst of that verse being fulfilled (laughs) when we see what's happening in the world today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I I was kind of delving more into that word for sorcery there. And I would seen Mm -hmm. that before. And, yeah, it's it's interesting that it is related to the word for um, dealing with, yeah, something that you would uh, take as a drug. And th- the ancient sorcerers, mediums, sorcerers, witches, they sometimes use potions and bruise, uh, spells, so forth. Uh, but um, and there's a lot of witchcraft
2: and spiritualism in the world today as well. Absolutely, yep. All right, well, thanks for your call. We might have time for one more. We've got Amy listening in uh, Northern California. Amy, we have just about a minute.
3: Okay, I'll be quick. Um, just had a question. When Satan and his angels were cast out of heaven after the war and they were banished to earth is that before adam and eve
1: yes yeah good question um we believe that uh satan and his angels were banished to earth after adam and eve were created and they listened to the temptation of the devil they surrendered the dominion at that point Uh, paul says in romans chapter six to whoever you obey that's whose servants you are and when god said don't eat it and the devil said, Do eat it. When Adam and Eve said, We're going to listen to the devil instead of God, Satan sort of kidnapped the planet. And even Jesus said, The prince of this world comes and he has nothing in me. That's why Satan told Jesus, If you bow down and worship me, uh, I'll give you the world. And, um, so yeah that's true now listening friends we are going to be taking a break here we are going off the air on one major channel on satellite but we're coming back with some fast fire rapid fire amazing facts questions that have come in on the internet so don't go away we're back with more
0: thank you for listening to today's broadcast we hope you understand your bible even better than before Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California.
2: Hello, friends. We want to welcome those who are staying with us. We have our special Q&A session. We've got about two minutes. Pass it out. We're going to try and answer as many questions that we can. We've got folks who have actually emailed their Bible questions. And if you have a Bible question you want to email to us, it's just questions at amazingfacts.org. All right. Here we go. Number one, Pastor Doug, is the book of Revelation in chronological order?
1: No. Uh, well, I'd give you more of an answer than that. You <laughs> probably can too. But uh, no, Revelation is basically, it, it's covering from the first coming of Jesus to the second coming uh, and and beyond, of course, into heaven. But it basically looks at that time period through many different visions. You've got the seven churches, you get the seven seals, you get the seven trumpets, you get uh, the seven plagues. There. They're principally at the end, though. And so it's, each one of them is taking a facet of history and there's overlap. So Revelation is definitely not written in chronological order.
2: Okay, next question that we have, uh, Pastor Doug, can you tell me in from the Bible, when does the day begin? Is it at sunset or is it at sunrise? Yeah, the Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter 23,
1: the Lord said, from even unto even, you will celebrate your Sabbaths. And there are. Genesis 1 it says the evening and the morning were the first day. So the Jews do not start a day at midnight like uh, the Roman time developed. Um, they didn't have clocks there to really separate it. They started a day and ended a day at sundown.
2: Okay, very good. Next question that we have Why does the Bible say that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling if we are saved by faith and it's a gift?
1: Yeah, well, the Lord gives us the gift of forgiveness and everlasting life, but then he also gives us brains and and muscle and free choice Mm -hmm. and that we need to study. We need to pray. There's things you need to do. Paul said there's effort. He said, I strive, I run, I pray, I wrestle, I war. These are all terms that denote that there's human uh, effort that's involved in maintaining that relationship, Mm -hmm. but it's a gift that's given.
2: I remember when somebody came to Jesus one time and asked for a miracle, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible. That's right. So there is something we need to do. We need to exercise faith. Okay, time for another question. Uh, Should Christians bury or cremate their dead? Well, there's no command that's explicit one way or the other. But
1: typically the example that you see in the Bible, Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Christ was buried. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they were all buried believing that uh, even in death, man retained the image of God and would be resurrected. And it was a sign of faith. So not a command, but that's the example. Hey, friends, you hear the music. That's all we can cover for today. Email us more questions. We'll study next
0: week. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode.